This podcast is brought to you by Vinzero. Vinzero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit vinzero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From Vinzero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to Vinzero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews and profiles. The American Wood Council, AWC, is the voice of North American wood products and represents some 86% of the structural wood products industry as the building industry comes under scrutiny for its contribution to carbon emissions, turning to natural resources is providing a sustainable solution for the built environment. We're joined today by Rachel Jamieson, Vice President, Markets and Sustainability for AWC, to explore the role of wood and mass timber in supporting the journey to net zero. So Rachel, according to a recent United Nations report, the materials used in construction are responsible for 27% of building emissions, Lowering the carbon footprint in buildings, construction and renovations is critical to meeting climate goals. How can expanding wood use help? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one that I think is really a window into a massive opportunity we have right now to transform the built environment from one that is negative from a climate standpoint to one that is positive. We don't have time to wait for new technologies. We don't have time to wait for new materials. Wood is delightfully a right now material. It's one that we have been working with in the built environment since we've been building. Um, And it really offers three key opportunities in the realm of climate. The first, when you use wood in a building, you ensure that the forests that it's being derived from stay as forests. Keeping healthy markets for wood products is central to keeping our forests as forests and not seeing them be converted into other uses. The second is those trees that are growing in the forests that are then uh, used in the built environment sequester carbon. You know, I always chuckle when I hear about innovative uh, carbon sequestration technologies. Nature came up with one before we were on the planet and it's carbon sequestration through photosynthesis and trees do it brilliantly. And finally, all of that sequestered carbon when it's put into a long lived wood product is stored in the wood product. Wood, dry wood is 50% by weight carbon. All of that carbon that the tree pulled from the atmosphere. So you end up with a really elegant circular story of carbon in the built environment. One that engages both nature and uh, our need to have places to live and work and play. So with the majority of buildings constructed using materials that produce higher carbon emissions during their own production, materials like steel and concrete, do you think that mass timber could become the building material of the future? Well, I think mass timber is in fact the building material of the past, present, and should have a larger footprint in the future. We're seeing uh, studies come in, Perkins and Will actually just completed one, looking at the embodied carbon of different scenarios at the design phase. Wood essentially comes in, in their study, at 80% less embodied carbon in the structural materials than other structural materials do. 
So the capacity for reduction with wood in the commercial sector is profound. Increasing wood use to the maximum extent feasible in multifamily housing, low-rise non-residential, and remodeling could result in a carbon benefit equal to about 21 million metric tons annually, equivalent to taking 4.4 million automobiles off the road indefinitely. So simply choosing to build with wood can really help mitigate across all sectors. That's amazing statistics. So what role can AWC play in supporting the adoption of mass timber? Yeah, well, AWC has been the lead in the United States on doing just this. We've done a tremendous amount of work to get mass timber, specifically cross-laminated timber or CLT, recognized in the States. AWC was fully engaged in the multi-year process of testing, research, and code development to gain recognition in the model codes for innovative mass timber. This process was robust and involved uh, building and fire protection experts, building and fire officials, researchers from the Forest Products Lab at the US Forest Service, and fire testing at a federal fire testing facility. The tests were conducted on a two-story mass timber building, which exceeded the performance expectations of the current code requirements in all cases. This process ensured that mass timber in U.S. buildings meet the highest of safety standards and essentially paved the way for mass timber construction to be included in the national building codes. This inclusion, and this is fun and interesting just to demonstrate how safe these tests demonstrated mass timber to be. The inclusion was the first time in the building codes had recognized a new construction type in over 100 years. AWC currently works with code officials on the ground to provide technical assistance to states as they contemplate adopting uh, the code that allows for mass timber. Some states have just adopted the mass timber element before adopting the full code. So we've done quite a bit of work, you know, in in ensuring that A, the materials have demonstrated safety and B, that they've been integrated into the codes for folks to add to their suite of options. So can you explain why mass timber is so structurally sound? Yeah, so mass timber buildings are are constructed, I think, to understand really how mass timber is made speaks to how the soundness of its structural integrity. They're created with large pre-manufactured, multi-layered solid wood panels that essentially can go into walls and floors, etc., that are five to 12 inches thick. When they're exposed to fire, as I talked about earlier, the outer layer creates essentially a natural chard, a natural char that acts as insulation protecting the inner layers of wood and preserving the integrity still. Um, In addition to the fire tests that I mentioned earlier that AWC was really deeply involved with, the government worked with with our partner organization, Woodworks, to conduct live blast testing on mass timber as well. So we've really been working across the board in the US on putting mass timber in the, the worst possible situations that it can find itself in And every time we do, it's showing up with resounding positive outcomes, exceeding exceeding minimum requirements. How does it create climate resilient infrastructure? 
So essentially what wood products offer are that circularity that I talked about earlier. Um, the resilience is both in the mass timber itself and also in the fact that it is working our, it's encouraging continued work in our forests. So you have the need for continued thinning and active management of our forests to prevent some of the catastrophic catastrophic wildfires that we have unfortunately been seeing in recent years. You also then have, as I talked about, the resiliency of the building material itself that I spoke to a bit earlier with regard to the char layer. One of the things that we talk a lot about at the American Wood Council is through the use of mass timber, what if we imagined a future where our built environment wasn't a drain on the on the natural economy, so to speak, but was in and of itself a bank, creating buildings that serve as carb, carbon storage units. You know, so the building itself becomes part of that jurisdiction's solution. We're going to build a mass timber city hall, both because of its low embodied carbon, both because the material is helping to keep our forest resilient and less susceptible to, for to forest fires. And also because it allows us to store X metric tons of carbon for decades and decades and decades. So Rachel, increasing our commitment to use more wood in built environments creates carbon sequestration in our cities and forests. Can you explain this a bit further? Of course. So I think it's important to really point first to the difference between sequestration, which is a verb, and it's something that trees actively do as they interact with the sun, and storage, which is what happens after that photosynthesis has occurred, and the carbon is then stored as essentially the flesh of the tree. So when you're looking at using wood in, built, in the built environment, you're creating an opportunity to utilize the materials that are coming from forests that have sequestered carbon from the atmosphere that have been emitted by any number of, of sources. So trees are really kind of the cleanup crew for all of the kind of carbon emitting processes in the world. They sequester the carbon, that those get harvested, moved into the building where the, the carbon that was sequestered in the forest is stored for decades and decades and decades. Meanwhile, new trees are planted in the forest, starting the cycle all over again and pulling even more carbon out of the atmosphere. So there have been many supply chain disruptions across industry over the past 12 months. Are the supply chain issues any different when it comes to wood? Well, you know, I think it's important with this to focus on the robust domestic manufacturing capacity that we have and the fact that the U.S. is a leader in wood products. So we have it right here in our backyard, the materials that we need, the intellect, the intellectual infrastructure that we need to really grow a robust and vibrant market for CLT and other mass timber products. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about buy local. This is a great example. It makes no sense for us to be shipping mass timber products all over the place, but how can we incent the growth in that clean, highly regulated manufacturing that happens in the US to expand production of mass timber so that we can meet what will hopefully be a continued growing demand for a very clean and sustainable product in the future. 
So how does the forest industry manage demand versus supply? Is there a danger of using too much wood by feeding increased demand for sustainable materials? That's a really good question. And it's one we get all the time. A fun fact, um, only 2% of private forests in the US are harvested every year. That doesn't include the federal forests, which is much less. That doesn't include other public forests. You're looking at 2%. And again, so long as strong markets are maintained for wood products, those forests will remain forests. Once a harvest occurs, they'll be replanted and more trees will grow in their place. So if anything, what we need in the US is to ramp up our harvest significantly, taking the built environment out of the conversation, but simply from a forest health standpoint and from a fire mitigation standpoint, we need to work these forests to ensure that they're healthy and resilient to our changing climate, which is resulting, unfortunately, in you know, we're, we're seeing the predictions of organizations like University of Washington's Climate Impacts Group. You know, 20 years ago when we were talking about this, increased forest fires, we've never seen anything like this. So the risk that we're going to have such an incredible demand is tiny relative to the real risk in losing our forest land base to fire because we're not more actively managing those forests for wood products. And I think that's a that's a really important and critical point for industry to understand. What role are governments playing in enabling industry to make climate smart decisions? Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, leading by example, we'd like to see the government in the U.S. The federal government invest, builds more than any other entity. So, how can the federal government lead by example and through their procurement and design choices, essentially create and build and grow? the low carbon building material sector more completely. One of the ways that we've been encouraging our federal partners um, is through the adoption and integration of what is a whole building life cycle assessment. A lot of efforts currently are focused at the product level. Get the product, concrete, steel, or wood that is the lowest in embodied carbon, but you don't have to compare concrete to steel or steel to wood. You just have to get the best in that silo. What whole building life cycle assessment does is it expands that quest for low carbon at the whole building scale during the design phase, wherein the architects, engineers, designers working on the project can actually start to swap materials out so that ultimately the, gov the, the government, uh, the role they can play for their own buildings is to create ultimately carbon budgets, wherein a building must meet a carbon budget and compare across material categories to essentially land at the lowest embodied carbon option. The other avenue that we're really working on with our, our public partners at the state level as well is to not just think about embodied carbon. Embodied carbon, as we know, is the energy that goes into making a product. Wood stores carbon, as we've already talked about. How do we institutionalize or incentivize utilization of materials that have sequestered and then store carbon as well as having a low carbon, a low embodied carbon footprint? So we're really working again at that whole building level, um, which is in all honesty, a material agnostic approach. So I'm here on behalf of the American Wood Council, but that methodology is about math 
not about material preference. And it's about making sure that you're doing the math correctly and at the correct stage. Are you looking for a digitalization and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward wherever you are on your digitalization and net zero journey. Visit VinZero.com to find out more. So for project leaders or design professionals that perhaps are considering the use of more sustainable materials, such as wood, I mean, how do they find out more? Yeah, well, I think to start American Wood Council is a tremendous resource. We are, we have design guidelines, we have access to technical assistance, we have folks across the country on the ground willing to work with folks on understanding how code adoption uh, can really foster allowance of the material to begin with. At that point, I, I encourage folks to reach out to another organization called Woodworks. Woodworks does a tremendous job of working with architects and engineers on, for at no cost, helping them to reimagine buildings that may have used other materials, looking at the carbon footprints, the embodied carbon footprints of those buildings if wood were to be substituted. So a couple of really, they also have a large staff with regional uh, points of contact for folks to reach out to and work with. Rachel, what role does the AWC play in supporting adoption of wood as a sustainable alternative and who else are you partnering with? Yeah, so we do quite a bit of work um, in policy, which I've alluded to already. We also do, we've invested a tremendous amount of time and resource into data collection. This, as we look at the dire impacts of climate change that many of us are already experiencing, we need to make sure that whatever we're doing, whatever we're recommending is supported with defensible, accurate, robust data. American Wood Council represents 86% by volume of all wood products manufacturers in the United States. We have developed a data platform uh, that collects life cycle, in life cycle data consistent with ISO standards around environmental product declarations for the entire industry with the vision of ultimately opening that platform up to companies that aren't members in so that we can land on data sets that are beyond statistically significant so that as we contemplate potential reductions of material substitutions, et cetera, we're able to do it and have absolute certainty that the data that's underlying is accurate, robust, and representative. We're also looking at partnering not only with our traditional partners, you know, Woodworks, folks that you would think, NAFO, National Association of Forest Owners, but also with NGOs who are working on um, forest issues. For example, you know, the Nature Conservancy um, recognizes and understands the importance of wood product utilization, both for maintaining our forest stocks and also for the reduced embodied and 
increased stored carbon benefits in the built environment. We've also uh, partnered with Environmental Defense Fund as well, in addition to quite a number of other entities on a grant application that would look at further quantifying uh, the carbon story of wood products from forest to end of life. Again, in the spirit of really wanting to make sure that the data underlying the assertions is not just statistically significant, but is as wholly representative representative of the entire industry as it can possibly be. Um, and we're also, we've been working, a lot of questions come around uh, fiber sourcing. You know, where is this wood coming from? Is it sustainable? Is it coming from, is it good wood or bad wood? And, you know, in the US, there just isn't such thing as bad wood. Um, we are very highly regulated you know, between the Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, Endangered Species Act, as well as in many large timber producing states, forest practice rules on top of those national regulations. Um, that being said, we still, we wanna provide transparency and we're really taking an approach right now that we're calling radical transparency. If folks have a question, we're gonna get them an answer. So we have, we are building into our data platform questions related to forest uh, fiber sourcing that's consistent with ASTM standards around sustainable fiber sourcing so that we have real numbers, not just about the VMTs that it took to get the wood from the forest to the manufacturing facility, but how was that, was that wood sourced? Can you verify that it was sourced legally? Was it sourced responsibly? You know, was it certified? Um, and so that we'll have, you know, volume, percent volume numbers on that as well. I love that. And I love that you that AWC adopt an attitude where they'll answer any question. So I, I know that definitely uh, a lot of people are really curious as to how wood performs in extreme weather events, particularly in fire and particularly in seismic situations. And I know you've touched on it a little bit, but can we dive a little bit deeper there? Absolutely. I think at the end of the day, what's important to know is that building codes require the same performance regardless of building materials. So mass timber does not have a unique requirement for seismic resilience than, say, concrete or steel. Um, they really, truly all have to meet those same standards. So if you are building to code, you know that regardless of the material that you're using, that material will provide that level of resilience that is that is required. When it comes to using wood and mass timber, what are some of the typical types of structures you are seeing come up? Yeah, well, one of the most exciting for me is, you know, having worked in sustainability, various aspects for 20 years, you know, one of the mantras is build in, don't build out. So we're seeing retrofits of added stories to buildings that may have, may have, you know, the first four stories are concrete and steel, and we're adding three more that are mass timber. And so that's really exciting. How do we reimagine our current building stock to meet the needs of tomorrow through major innovations utilizing that mass timber? Also looking at quite a bit of innovation in the way of affordable housing and modular buildings. Um, there are architects in Seattle actually working on what they hope to be, uh, Susan Jones is her name, working on what she hopes to be 
a replicable um, design for affordable housing that's modular. A, it goes up much quicker and much simpler, but B, at the end of the life of the, of the project, you end up with the ability to reuse the materials. And C, you also are providing people who are struggling with buildings that have integrity and dignity and beauty. You know, not just a roof, but a place that they can be proud of and a place that can hopefully inspire them to continue to seek out that beauty and, you know, cozy kind of warmth that natural materials materials offer. We're seeing corporations, you know, Walmart being one that, you know, built their entire new headquarters out of mass timber and other jurisdictions who are, you know, taking full advantage of the codes that allow now for tall mass timber and building mass timber, you know, skyscrapers. One in Milwaukee is going to be 25 total stories with 19 of those as mass timber. So, I mean, where are we seeing mass timber being taken up across the board, which is a positive story, both for people and for the environment. And quite frankly, for the workers, you know, who are it's, pre-fabricated material that comes as it needs to, you know, size-wise. So significant safety benefits as well. What are some of the surprising benefits from the use of wood for buildings and construction? Yeah, well, this one, it, it sounds a little bit out there, but it there's quantitative peer review, a body that, of work that is peer reviewed that's emerging around biophilia. Um, Biophilia, I don't know if you have heard much about it. It's essentially benefits to human health, mental and physical, that are derived from access to nature and natural systems. So for example, there was a study just done in Seattle on K through 12 schools and looking at the benefits of building K through 12 schools with mass timber. And of course, there was a lot in the study around reduced embodied carbon, et cetera, et cetera. There's also an element of increased test scores that the kids who were simply exposed to wood grains, it, it does something, I think, to the human spirit, you know, for lack of sounding kind of really far out there. Um, there are other studies that say sick leave on average 11 hours less per year um, when folks are in buildings that have natural materials like wood. Um, there was a human spaces global study of 7,600 workers across 16 countries that found that, quote, employees who work in environments with natural elements report a 15% higher level of well-being, are 6% more productive, and 15% more creative overall. So you put people in a mass timber building you get better outcomes for kids. You get more productivity from your workers. You have folks calling in less. Yeah, and, and there was another study out of BC, British Columbia, that said that the sympathetic nervous system, i.e. stress, was reduced. So, you know, in addition to the carbon story, building with natural materials, it makes sense as organic animals ourselves but we're seeing data come forward to support that, which for me was new and has been quite exciting. Like, oh my gosh, what if 
affordable housing was in and of itself a social service when built with mass timber. What a great story. Right? Giving these kids and these families an opportunity through the structure that they're living in to create better outcomes for themselves long term. And are there any specific construction benefits from adopting the use of mass timber? Yeah, you know, one of the most compelling is the reduction in construction time. Estimates are 15 to 20% faster than conventional buildings. Uh, they show up, um, the, the mass timber shows up and is really ready to be placed, secured, and move, moved right on to the next, the next piece. There was a building in DC that we toured a number of months ago and the contractor was astounded and estimated multiple weeks in saved time through the specification of mass timber as well as not having as many material challenges, i.e. having to refabricate, et cetera, to make sure that everything fits. He said it was like putting a, not even a thousand piece, but a pretty simple puzzle together Absolutely. So you've, you've got a lot of excitement, you've got a lot of passion for the work of AWC. When you think future uh, about your industry, what is it that you're most excited about? Yeah, so my excitement is real. I, I always say to people, we don't end up in this sector by accident. We end up in this sector because we ourselves passionately love wilderness and nature and recognize that using the products that nature provides us, again, linking back to that biophilia, it feels good. So where do I see the future of our work? I see us really digging in, continuing in the immediate to dig into the positive climate attributes of using wood in, in buildings, ranging from single family homes to skyscrapers. Um, and really seeing that so long as we're continuing to replant after those harvests, that we're really creating a, a robust solution on the climate on the climate level. Um, but also to kind of dig in more to you know the biophilia work that we have that I talked about a little earlier, and how we create spaces that aren't just functional, but that are really inspirational and inspirational at a biological level. So not, you know, a quote on the wall that makes us feel good, although those are wonderful, but that the spaces themselves become, you know, speak to our physiology as we're starting to see and create, you know, kind of some of the maybe more compassion or kindness or, you know, the attributes that make our species highlight the wonderful aspects of our species through, through our buildings. Certainly the uh, International World Building Institute are doing some great work in that regard in terms of seeing the combination between focusing both on well-being and environmental or sustainable aspects in buildings and and the, the actual result that can have on human capital and human performance. It's quite fascinating. Well, and I think it's the future and it gets back to that concept that wood is the product of the past, present, and future, right? So we have innately wanted to go to natural places. Most people feel good when they're around trees, when they're in nature. So let's build that into our structures and you know, kind of reverse some of the 
more negative. Maybe I'm being overly hopeful here, but you know, let's create those spaces that foster kindness and ease. Absolutely. I love that. Rachel, it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much for sharing your insights into the use of mass timber and the use of wood in the as-built environment. And I would love to have you back at a future time to talk about some of the amazing new structures and some of that affordable housing that's coming to fruition in the future. I would be honoured to come back. Thank you so much for having me, Anthea. This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. VinZero helped the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our VinZero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at vinzero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From Vinzero Think Future, thanks for listening.